Welcome to the Possessing the Gates podcast, the official podcast of King's Gate International. This podcast is designed to open the doors of deeper revelation and encounter with the Lord in your life. We pray that as you journey with us, you will be propelled further into your purpose and assignment. For more information about Chris Mitchell or to connect with the ministry of Kingsgate International, visit us at www.kingsgate.international. Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to Possessing the Gates. I am excited about being with all of you tonight and even more excited about uh, our guest tonight and very much looking forward to bringing him on and diving into the deep end of the pool with him tonight on what the Lord has placed in his heart so that we can break bread together uh, around the grace that he carries. So uh, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I want to take a few moments just to introduce him. Uh, I don't need a script to be able to do it because I've had the privilege over the past year or so to get to know him. I have seen him up up close in ministry and have watched him uh, in his uh, life and involvement in the ministry that he helps to steward as well as uh, with his family. And I can tell you unequivocally he is an authentic man of God, along with the prophetic grace and national mandate that he carries. He carries the fragrance and the aroma of Christ and a father's heart unparalleled uh, throughout uh, people that I have met. So I'm very honored to have him on with us tonight. Our guest uh, on Possessing the Gates tonight is my friend, Ryan Johnson. He, uh, he has a podcast that I was privileged to be a part of. The Blacksmith Chronicles. Uh, if you have not had an opportunity to check it out, please uh, subscribe to his YouTube channel. Check out his podcast, uh, which is hosted Destiny Image. He's on Charisma. There's many different places that you can connect with him. I encourage you, if you have not yet, please do so. It's my privilege to welcome him to Possessing the Gates tonight, my friend, Ryan Johnson. Man, thank you so much. And it's an honor, man. And I am so glad to have you on tonight. You know, when we met, uh, one of the first things that struck me about you is the emphasis that the Lord has placed in your heart concerning family. And you carry that authentically. It's not just a buzzword. It's not just a terminology or a slogan, but it's something that you carry. There is a substance around it. And so, man, I honor you for that. I think that that's a, a missing component uh, that that we are sorely in need of in the body of Christ today. So honored to have you on, man, and anxious to hear uh, what God is stirring in you as we live out our days in this context, man, of where we are in history. So talk to us. Yeah, you know, just touching on family to begin with, one of the things that we say, and we've said it for a number of years now, is kingdom is family. And it's something that I have, I don't know exactly when I really started putting my focus towards that exactly. Uh, it was just something I really started, my heart started growing more and more towards. And I just kept saying it, kept saying it, kept saying it. And then there came a time when 
someone got really upset with me. And uh, it was just, it was a disagreement, you know, at the end of the day, I know people don't think we should have disagreements, but we did. And, and this individual just got really, really upset. And he made a statement and he was a white individual. And he said, that's the problem with you white prophets. And he started railing on me because of something that I disagree with that I believed was a message that was a heretic. It was, it was a heresy message. Ooh. And I just had a lot of concerns about it. And I was sharing my concerns and, you know, he just said, that's the problem with the white prophets. And he said, you don't understand culture. And when he said it, it just struck something with me. And I, wow. I immediately thought then I thought we will never view kingdom is family as long as we view our culture to be greater than the kingdom. And it's something that just resonated in a way to where I said, okay, we have to start implementing this, but in the process to get people to understand that the kingdom truly is family, we have to lessen what we try to value in the culture. We have this tendency to think, remember where we're from, white, black, Hispanic, Asian, whatever the case may be, we have this tendency to make our culture greater than everything else. And so our experience, our own culture, our heritage, we make that feel like it's greater than everything. And scripturally wise, Jesus changed cultures. Yes, he sir. shifted cultures. The cultures didn't remain the same. You know, when we go to John chapter five, Jesus rose up on this culture that has gathered around the pool of Bethesda. And they've been there for generations waiting on the stirring of the water by the angels. And Jesus rolls up on this guy and says, do you want to be made well? Who had been sick for 38 years. And his response was not yes or no. His response was, I have no one to put me in the water. Every time I try to get in the water first, someone beats me there. So his response was an excuse. Jesus looks at him and says, take up your mat and walk. And so this man never goes down to the water. He never touches the water, yet he is miraculously healed. Now, here's the thing. Here's what John chapter 5, there's two things that is obviously happening here. Let's say that there's an angel stirring the water. Let's say that's really, really happening, and that's what takes place. So the culture is, once a year, an angel comes down, stirs the water. First one in gets healed, right? So that's what the culture says. So if Jesus doesn't abide by that, that means he just put an angel out of business. Mm. That's the first thing. If we look at it that way. But here's the reality of that scripture, because if you study it out, you'll find that you can't find the Hebrew of the statement where John describes about the angel stirring the water. What John really wrote there is the tradition of man. See, there were, never was no angel stirring the water. It was a traditional mindset. And, and here's how I'm going to prove this. Here's how the kingdom works, right? Correct me if I'm wrong. If you want to be the greatest, be what? Servant. To be, yeah, well, to be the least, That's which right. would be a servant. If you want to be first, be last. The kingdom's upside down. So yep. wait a minute. If God says to be the greatest, be the least, to be first is to be last, really, then why would he ever set up a system where the first one in is the only one to get healed? Wouldn't it make sense yeah. of the last one in to get healed? 
See, the culture had a traditional mindset and the culture was meriting whether or not someone would be healed. But Jesus comes into the scene and he simply tells a man what is possible. Pick up your mat and walk. And he's healed without abiding by the culture. And now all of a sudden, Jesus shifts an entire culture and changes it, changes it so much that I've been there. I've been to the pool of Bethesda. There's no more water there. There's no more sick people there. He completely shifted a culture. But what we want to do a lot of times is we want to value our culture in such a great way that we cannot welcome people who look different than us or think different than us or act different than us. We can't, you know, I got to have my little uh, crowd right here because, you know, I, I can only have this club because if I can only have this club, my culture is greater than the kingdom. The kingdom is diverse. The kingdom is brown, white, black, red, yellow. The kingdom is beautiful in every aspect. So how can I ever receive someone as part of the family if I view them unacceptable according to my standards? It's not my standard. It's the kingdom. So kingdom is family as long as the kingdom is greater than the culture. Come on. But if the kingdom is not greater than the culture, then you'll never have people as family. And that's where all that comes from. That's the heart behind all that because I, I – you know, Chris, I'm one of these people, you and I have had this conversation, but for your listeners as well, we need to be reminded, you know, we hear people all the time that say, uh, I don't see color. And, you know, I know what you're trying to say. I know what you're trying to, you know, you know, Native American, Hispanic, Asian, Black, African American. We, we, we try to be non-offensive in that. But honestly, I believe you're offensive to God when you say that. Because God created Chris just as much as he created me. Come on. So for me to look at Chris and say, I can't see Chris's color. What I'm really saying is saying, God, I can't see who you created. I can't see the beauty of who you created in Chris, his family, his daughters. I can't see that beauty, God, because I don't see. See, I have to acknowledge who God creates. God created everybody in his image and likeness. And so for me to discredit that is really for me to discredit God. That's the beauty of the kingdom. The kingdom is very diverse. The kingdom is beautiful. The kingdom is wonderfully made. But until we get this point, we just continue the cycle of everything that we're at and we create tribalism rather than family. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? You know, Ryan, I'm listening to you uh, earlier. You said uh, you were talking about how someone was upset with you. And I'm like, really? Ryan Johnson? Somebody was upset with Ryan Johnson. I'm shocked. Only on the no days way. that end in Y. No way. <laughs> and that's one of the reasons why I love you, man. You uh, uh, you are unashamed and uh, you're willing to challenge the, the norms that we've become accustomed to by tradition. And uh, one of those things, the sacred cows that we've embraced in the house of God don't even realize that we have, you know, uh, drank the proverbial Kool-Aid in some of these things where we're taking on the spirit of the world and carnal worldly models, and we've embraced them, brought them into the house and think that they're gonna cohabitate with the glory of God. Uh, Dagon occupying the same ground as the Ark of the Covenant. And so, uh, so I really appreciate what you're saying because it's my view that when we do that, we are not going to see the, the substance, the full manifestation of the substance that God wants to release through his house when we don't em- embrace the unique uh, attributes that we carry because of our differences. 
So when Second Corinthians says that uh, four says that we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency may be of God and not of us. It highlights the thing that we carry a treasure in an earthen vessel. So the reality is this. There's something to this that Acts 17 says by one blood, he made all the nations. He chose the place of our of our nativity. He chose the place that we would be birthed, the nations to which we would belong. Come on. And the reality is all of those things play a role in our unique expression of Christ. And when those things come together, there is a fragrance. 2 Corinthians 2 talks about how through us, he diffuses the fragrance of the knowledge of who he is in every place. And I believe that's that sweet aroma that comes forth when those unique attributes are blended together in a, in a family context. So talk to us some more, man, about, about what the Lord has taught you about the power of, of family and what it means in the body of Christ. Well, you know, it, it, and the thing is, when we look back at the 12 tribes of Israel, every tribe had a different purpose, had a different assignment, had a different function. And so, yeah, there's always going to be degrees of separation in, in some manner because everybody's not going to sing the same. Everybody's not going to preach the same. We're not going to like the same people. We're not going to function the same way. Um, th that's part of that. But but I think there's a massive key that we overlook because, you know, a lot of times we look and we say, the tribe of Judah never did what the tribe of Levi did. Levi's tribe. The Levites never functioned the same way that Judah did, and Judah never functioned the same way that, that Levi did. And that's Absolutely. beautiful. That's beautiful when it's set up in, in, in the way that it does. But here's the difference. The, if at any time Judah becomes competitive with Levi and says, because you're not a part of Judah, you're lesser than, or you're not on the same page as us. We no longer view each other as family. Now, how many tribes were there? There were 12, 12 tribes of Israel. There were 12 distinctions that separated the purpose, but there was one family. Come on. The family was Israel. So they each have a different assignment, a different purpose, but their identity is in one. Even though I'm Judah or Dan or Gad or, or Levi, whatever, quote unquote, my tribe title was, my identity was Israel at all times. And this is even when we fast forward to the to the New Testament, we see this in the disciples, mm. this this ragamuffin group of individuals that are are polar opposite on every spectrum. I mean, you even take even take the fishermen. OK. Let's just take those that were fishermen because we know Matthew's tax collector, Luke was a physician. We 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 would naturally expect differences. But Simon Peter ain't like the rest of them. He doesn't function the same way. He doesn't think the same way. That's right. The, I mean, the biggest difference between John and Simon Peter, two different spectrums. One is an apostle, one is a prophet to really begin to look at it in its in its right form. One is a passionate lover. One is an intimate lover. Mm. But they're disciples. They're growing. Yep. They're maturing with one another. And they have this bond when they're being discipled through Christ in this process. Now, here's the interesting thing about it. There were times in which Jesus took three further than he took nine. He would take three a little bit further. But I can't find one. And correct me if I'm wrong. I can't find one passage of scripture where it ever said that the nine became angry because the other three got to go further. 
or they became jealous or they became envious or they felt like they were no longer disciple material. Just because the other three went further than the other nine, it never disqualified the nine. It simply meant that the nine's purpose and function was different than the other three. And one of the things that we get into trouble with is when we become competitive rather than complimenting. Orphans will compete. Sons will compliment. And now the disciples, did they get it right when they were disciples all the time? No. You know, I'm, I'm sure they didn't get it right all the time. Um, you know, there's a little bit of a debate at the Lord's Supper when you they kind of get into this exchange on who really the betrayer was. So we, we know that. But when you fast forward to after the baptism of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, it's interesting. I don't find one disciple who really became an apostle when you look at it, because it's actually the apostles. They were the apostles then. They were actually the apostles in the gospel, if you read scripture. Uh, it, 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 we find out that they never went alone. Orphans will always try to do what they know to do alone in themselves because they trust no one. Sons co-labor and not try to co-defeat one another. So there's a co-laboring together in this. So the disciples, even though there was a time that they were all 12, when it came time to fulfill their assignment, they dispersed in groups of two, sometimes three or four, but mostly you see two in this journey, in this process. And that's a continued pattern because sons will learn how to complement one another. Orphans are going to compete against one another. So when we create this tribalism versus the family aspect, See, I'm going to cheer my family on. I'm going, I'm going to be for my family. I'm not going to be against my family. When you have success in everything that you're doing, I'm cheering you on. I'm for you. I'm for you being successful as a man of God, first and foremost, as a husband and a father. Everything else is secondary to that. But I'm for that. But if I'm threatened by you, it means that my identity has been shaken as Come a on. son and I'm crossing over into that orphan mentality again because the orphan is going to do whatever it needs to do to come uh, against you, to become manipulative, to become div divisive. So what really tears the family apart in the kingdom of God is a spirit of, uh, uh, a spirit of competition that's rooted in an orphan identity. And when that begins to happen, we see this debate and this argument back and forth that's happening in the kingdom of God. And it's why people can't truly find uh, the, the fulfillment of their purpose because they're always trying to undercut someone else in order to elevate them. If I have to lessen the value of my brother in order to increase my recognition, I mm. am in an in, in error. My value is not discovered in what I do. My value is discovered in who I am. I'm valuable because I'm a son. I'm worth it because I'm a son. If what I do brings value or worth, then I will always be doing the song and dance of the orphan. And I'll misplace that. That's the problem with the prodigal. The prodigal was always a son of the father, but he found his value in what he could obtain and not what he already had. It's the reason when the prodigal recognized that he had nothing in the pigsty, I'll just go back and be a servant. When he tried to lower himself to a place of false shame and false identity, the father elevated him when he had nothing. See, mm. there's value when you recognize that you know that you're a son. The father sees it before you see it, but there's value even when you 
you have nothing. And we're trying to show what I can do, what I can say, what I can do, bring to the, you know, I can preach the best of. Man, I know preachers, you know preachers that can preach the paint off the wall, but they have yep. zero character. Yes, they, sir. They, they're not men of integrity. They're not women of integrity. And, and because of that, they actually have no value in the kingdom. And they're not family related. They're tribalism in this process. <sighs> <laughs> man, as, as, you as got me going. Yeah, man. I listen. This is what we want. This is what we're after. Because as you're talking, it's it's not just words. There's an atmosphere opening up, and I tr I feel the spirit of adoption at work. Galatians four talks about how the spirit of adoption produces the cry of Abba Father of that where where there's a recognition that we're sons to a father, not servants to a master. Come on. And that 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 is a that is something that's even for those of you who are watching or connecting on the podcast, that atmosphere is available to you in this moment to access by faith, to step into this encounter by faith because it's truly who you are. It's what's been provided to you. Hebrews says that Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brethren. He's not ashamed to call us brothers. He has revealed the father to us so that we might know our identity rooted and grounded in the reality that we have been accepted as sons. And that is, it's a, it is, there is a complete difference of how we function and our roles that we take up in the kingdom, Ryan, when we recognize that we're sons. Sons will serve but they do so from a place of settled identity. So they serve because they're approved by the father. Servants, their motivation, a servant serves to gain the approval of a master. And there's a difference because that type of serving is self-serving. It's ultimately trying to get something from me or something to, and therefore we cannot move God's agenda forward when that mentality and that 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 orphan spirit as you were talking about lingers on us so speak into that more man the identity of sons and how we how that produces true kingdom advancement when we move in that way you know it's interesting because ultimately you have the son of god who becomes a son of man so that the sons of men could become the sons of god but our battle a lot of times is we really get enamored in simply becoming a Christian. Mm. You know, I'm a Baptist, I'm a Methodist, I'm a Pentecostal, I'm a charismatic, I'm whatever the case may be. And I've studied the Bible and I may be wrong, but I can't find any passages of scripture where you're called to be a Christian. <laughs> now we're going to have some fun. Come on. <laughs> you can't find it. I'll tell you what you can find when you're born again, there are three things that you actually become, and Christian isn't one of them. Christian, Christian is a marker of an identity, but it's not what you're called to be. You're not called to be a Christian. When you're born again, you're called to be a son. That's your first identity, son of God. That's, that's where it starts right there. I am a son. That means I have birthright. Birthright is a massive deal. Number two, it means I'm an heir with Christ, a co-heir, a joint heir. That means that everything that he has, I have access to. Paul said that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and I as a daily high priest or a mediator. And 
we too are seated in that high place. So I'm a joint heir. Whatever he has, I have access to. Number three, it says we're ambassadors. Mm. Now that's the one that just wrecks me because the only way that I can understand ambassador really is to understand our ambassador. And what I mean by that is, you know, in, in, in our government, we feel like the greatest, most powerful person is the president of the United States. Ironically, it's not. The president is not the most powerful person on the face of the earth. You want to know who it is? The U.S. ambassador. You see, the president doesn't rule or reign over the uh, judicial branch. That's oh. the Supreme Court. Sure. The It doesn't rule or reign over the legislative branch. That's Congress. He rules over the executive branch, and those are checks and balances in that. The president can veto a bill, and Congress can override the veto. So he's mm. not as powerful as what we often think. But I'll tell you who is the most powerful, and that's the United States ambassador. Do you know who the U.S. ambassador represents? The entire government. Yeah. Every branch represents out of the U.S. ambassador. That means right now if the U.S. ambassador flies to Africa, no matter what step that U.S. ambassador steps on a foreign country, because they represent the entire government of the United States, it means that every step that they take is actually on American soil. Come on. Even though it's in a foreign country, because they represent the entire body of the government of the United States of America. Now, if you and I are in a foreign country and we go to the U.S. embassy and we cross that line, we're on American soil, even though we're in a foreign country. But see, here's what the Bible says. We're called to be ambassadors of Christ. What that really means is we represent the government of heaven. The entire thing, everywhere we step, we represent the kingdom of heaven. Well, how is that possible? Well, Jesus sits the disciples down. He says, who do they say that I am? Some say that you're the prophets of old. Some say that you're Elijah. Some say that you're Jeremiah. And he looks at Simon Peter and says, but who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the son of the living God Almighty. And to which Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because no one told you this except my father in heaven. And I say to you this day that I will build my church on Petra, rock, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I'll give you the keys of what? The kingdom oh. of heaven. And whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Now, we think a lot of times what that means is, Whatever I say on earth, heaven has to abide by it. It's not the way that it's written. What it actually means is whatever heaven is releasing, binding and loosing, we come in agreement with that and have the authority to release it on the earth. Yes. Sir. So in that process, I've been given the keys of the kingdom of heaven as the ecclesia, which is a legislative governing authority. So wait a minute. Before Jesus is ever ascended to heaven, he's already given the keys over to the disciples who are about to be apostles that are born again and about to be spirit filled. So if they have access to the kingdom of heaven because they have the keys, what do I have as a son and heir and an ambassador? See, when I recognize my true identity as a son and heir and ambassador, I'm not just a Christian trying to suffer as long as I can until the glory days of the Lord comes and catch me uh, up in the by and by. Yes, I'm not sir. waiting for a moment just to tarry in order for him to come and rescue me or until I die and take my last breath. But see, if I am a son, I am an heir and I'm a bass and, and an ambassador and I have the keys of the kingdom of heaven. That means I have a legislative governing authority that everywhere I step, I not only represent 
represent the kingdom. I represent every aspect of the kingdom, yes. every step that I take, everything that I do. My identity is not just to be Christ-like as a Christian. My identity is to be like Christ. Christ-like people will do things that appear to be good because Jesus did good things. Like Christ people will touch lepers. See, Jesus didn't go and just talk to the lepers. He touched the lepers. Yeah. God in the kingdom is looking for sons who will touch somebody and not just talk about it. Because the talk about it, orphans can talk about it, but the sons can move mountains. The sons can cast out devils. The sons can uh, uh, heal the sick and the blind and the lame. The sons can operate from a kingdom perspective because they know what heaven is saying. If I'm in tune with heaven, now I'm not just somebody walking upon the earth that is one day going to get to heaven. I'm in connection with heaven because I'm seated in a heavenly place. That even though I'm on the earth and I'm part of the earth, I'm not of this world. Even though I look and I feel I'm not of this world, but Christ cause truly Christ in me is greater than he that is in the world. But my suffering, I'm suffering, I'm doing this. Yes, that comes because our long suffering is through Christ. He did that. He became the son of man so that the, that the sons of men could become sons of God. My identity is based and rooted on who I truly am. It's more than being a Christian. It's more than that. I'm a son. I'm an heir. I am an ambassador. I represent the kingdom in everything. It's why I prophesy. It's why I preach. It's why I pray. It's why I decree. It's why I declare. It's why when my son was in the hospital back in September and the doctors oh. told him he's a type one diabetic, I looked at the doctors and said, challenge accepted. And the doctors looked at me and said, what do you mean? I said, this will not be the allotment of my son's life. He will not be a type one diabetic all of his life. Uh, and I looked at my son and I said, son, I have given the doctors permission to help you, but I have not given them permission permission to define you. You will not be this for all of your life. And my son has taken a hold of it. How did my son take a hold of it? Because the father, his father declared it. When I declared it, the son got a hold of it. And my 15 year old son, he'll be 15 on the 17th. He will sit and tell you, I'm being healed. I won't be this way all the time. The reason if he can gravitate that, how come we as sons can't gravitate to what the father in heaven has already told us? I'm rolling. <laughs> Listen, we're gonna we're gonna let you continue right on, man. I really feel like Ryan that as you're uh, just as we mentioned earlier that there's there's so much taking place as you're speaking, and there are those that are watching tonight that have been in this place where they've struggled with reconciling these things. You know, sometimes we have so much baggage, so much history from our past. And because we're still in this process, salvation is complete. It is, it is total, but salvation is working its way through your being. In other words, the moment that you got saved instantaneously, your spirit was born again. You're a son, you're a child of God, but you're becoming to reconcile who you are in your identity is a process of salvation that works out in the realm of your soul. There's, there's a reality that your spirit is aware of that your soul has to become enlightened. It has to be evangelized to know the truth and brought into alignment with the reality that has been transacted on your behalf because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, raising you out of what you were into something that never existed before. And so you're not just a patched up version of your, of your former self. 
But because the soul is so focused on what happened to it, Ryan, that things that have happened in the past, the, the ways that we've fallen short, the mistakes that we've made, it's difficult to reconcile what you're talking about based upon our history, the baggage that we carry. Talk to those folks that are connecting with us tonight. Help us find our way out of that and to get into a place where not only do we receive it, but we're activated by the spirit of faith to begin to move in that dimension, in that reality. You know, Paul described it in this way. He said, you're a new creation. Well, the Greek definition of new creation doesn't mean a one and done deal. In other words, we're not born again and then it's just nothing ever happens again and we're, and we're just completely made whole. That in the Greek literally means a continual process without ending. In other words, I am being made a new creation every single day of my life. Yes, so there's there's aspects, and I want to say this to everybody. There's aspects. It's not like you're just going to wake up one day and it's all just you know miraculously going to click. It's a process. It is a process, you know, especially if you've got a lot of baggage. Sometimes that process can God zap it and it happened immediately. Absolutely. I don't I don't discredit that at all. It just doesn't happen that often because we have this tendency as individuals to think more of ourselves than we should. Mm. You know, I, I even said today and 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 it's a famous thing, and, and I'm not I'm not settled with it. And and this is my opinion. I'm saying this. Chris, you don't have to agree with it. Nobody else has to agree with them, what I'm about to say, because it, again, is my opinion. I hear people all the time say, I've just got to learn how to forgive myself. And when I hear that, I know what they're saying. But for years, it's just not set right with me. It, it's like when I hear it, I go, hmm, I, 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 it just doesn't set right. And I've come to the place where I, I know what people are saying. I got to learn how to forgive myself. I don't think it's scripturally accurate. What I mean by that is if I have the power to forgive myself, why do I need God's forgiveness? If I have the ability to take care of myself, why do I need God? So here, here's what I want everybody that maybe you're dealing with the baggage, maybe you got the issues. And when we talk about sons, we talk about heirs, we talk about ambassadors and you read that the Bible and you say, yes, but I'm having these struggles. I can't get past this point. I want you to take the time to stop and evaluate how you view you. And, and, and the reason, let me go back further. We'll say in a heartbeat, and it's true, pride took Lucifer down. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Pride took Lucifer down. Lucifer goes before God and he goes, everything that you are, I am. Everything and I'm going to be higher than you. They're going to worship me. They're going to bow to me. This is going to be, you know, it's all about me. I say this as well. Pride took him down. However, Lucifer's problem was not in how he viewed God, but how he viewed himself. Mm. He viewed himself to be greater than God. A lot of times, not every time, but a lot of times what hangs people up in their identity as sons, heirs, and ambassador is really in how they view yourself and not how they view God. They view themselves and their problems, their issues, their baggage to be greater than what God is able to overcome. My sin, God can never forgive me. Come on, right? He, he just doesn't recognize what I've done. You don't know what I've done. God can never use me. 
God can never do. Even though we read about Moses murdering an Egyptian, even though we read about David being the adulterer and planning out um, uh, the murder of a husband, even though we read about all these people that are jacked up, we look at ourselves and we think more highly of ourselves than what God is actually able to do. Our perception is not always on our inability to understand who God is. Our perception is that our ability to misidentify ourselves. We think of ourselves greater than what God is able to do. If you're going to change your perception of who God is, you got to work on yourself as well. And what I mean by that, Paul also said that daily we crucify our flesh daily, right? I asked a group today, uh, I taught a class today. I asked a class, I said, what does that mean? There were so many people that got up and said, well, that means, you know, I got to put others first. You know, I got to, you got to, you know, do unto others. And, and, and so many people, it was like, I want to lay down my life for someone else. I get all that. I'm not discrediting any of that. But then I simply said, when is crucifying your flesh actually dealing with you? But see, our mentality is everybody before us. And so we look at everybody. Oh, isn't that great? You got it. Hey, Chris, good job. You understand that your son, I'll just be over here. I can't understand it because I can't forgive myself. I can't, I can't discover the healing. I can't heal myself. I got to deal with these wounds. You see, I don't have the power to forgive myself, but if I can tap into the reality that God's forgiveness is greater, then I can understand who he is through his forgiveness. You know, yeah. I really don't even have the ability to love anyone until I first Come understand on. who he is as love. But uh, to understand who he is as love, I first have to say, I don't have the power to actually love. I can feel, but I don't know what it's like to love. That's what I mean by dealing with ourselves first. The laid down life is to be able to take on the things that we actually acknowledge. Now, I'm go, I'm go and, and look at this scripture wise. When Jesus went to the cross, what did he take on? Scripture's clear. He took on all sin. Come on. So he took on an identity in order to crucify the identity that man themselves were often unwilling to acknowledge. So if I'm going to crucify myself, what I've got to be able to do is take on the identity that I'm always unwilling to take on. I'm to take the example of Christ. Christ took on what man was unwilling to acknowledge, and that was sin. Sin is wrong. Sin is evil. Sin separates from God. So Christ took sin on and bore that so that we wouldn't have to go to that actual cross. But Paul said we still have to crucify our flesh. If I can learn to deal with me and crucify my flesh... I really get a revelation of who the Father is. Now, let me ask this question. I'm going to put it in a natural realm. My earthly father is actually here in town with us. He's staying with us a few days. My mother and my father is. Did I first learn who I was or as a son, or did I first learn who he was as a father? Wow. Come on. See, as a kid growing up, yep. I didn't know who I was as a son. I had to first know him as a father. Yes, sir. But my identity as a son is eventually realized because I know him as a father. In other words, my sonship didn't mean more than him being a father. I first had to recognize I'm nothing without my father. Then all of a sudden, I realized my identity as a son is actually found because he's a father. My father didn't raise me to be his replacement. My father first raised me to be a son who would one day become a husband, who would one day become a father. And that's the way it is. And that same cycle is in the kingdom. If you're going to understand who you are as a son, you must lose every identity of yourself to understand who he is as a father. If you understand who he is as a father, you get the revelation of who you are as a son. Mm. Jesus said, if you want to see the father, you've seen him because you've already seen me. Come on. 
The identity of sonship is not necessarily and only found in Christ. The identity of sonship is found in the identity of the Father. And a lot of Christians are walking around saying, I'm like Jesus, I'm doing all these good things. But if I can't see the Father, I really can't see the Son. Because the reality is, is ultimately seeing the Father. God created all mankind, didn't he? That's what he did, right? But God created you and formed you in your mother's womb. The scripture says he knew you before you, you were ever conceived, right? That's what the scripture right. says. But if you deny Christ as a Savior and you die and you face God, what does he say to you? Depart from me because I never knew you. How does the Father that knew you before you were ever consumed face you in eternity and say, I never knew you? Mm. Wait a minute. How is it that he's doing that? You see, the scripture also says that God is looking to all the earth for a man whom he can reveal himself into. Jesus never took credit for anything, did he? Not a thing. Can't find it in scripture. Jesus pointed everything back to the Father. The Father. Everything to the Father. See, about true sonship, your true identity is not being Christ-like. Your true identity is when you mature as a son so much that people can recognize the Father in you. You know, as you're talking, Ryan, it's uh, John 17, 3 is ringing in my spirit where Jesus says, this is eternal life. So we think about eternal life as, as a destination. And most often in Christendom, eternal life is a destination. It's in the sweet by and by, swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry us home uh, somewhere <laughs> over yonder. And Jesus redefines the whole thing in John 17, 3. He says, this is eternal life, that you may know the Father, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. Eternal life is a relationship. Absolutely. It is a relationship with the Father as revealed through the Son. And what you're talking about today is that, you know, most of us are, we're separated from the life that the Father has intended for us to live, to manifest his glory in the earth, because we're missing the true revelation of the Father and walking in the light of that intimacy. That's how we experience eternal life. It's as eternity comes into the present, his eternal purpose, his eternal counsel concerning you. Psalm 139, all of your days were written in his book before even one of them came to be the days he fashioned for you. That substance comes into activity as we find ourselves in intimate union with the father and his desire, his intention for our life and his purposes find expression through that connection in relational revelation. So listen, man, talk to us. If do you have <laughs> any, <laughs> before we close the night, man, I just, I want you to number one, before we end our time, man, I want you to, you know, pray and to, to speak into the lives of those that are watching, just however you feel uh, prompted by Holy spirit. Um, but please, man, share, share some more thoughts with us and then please, man, pray. And yeah. yeah, you know, I, I'm when I said this scripture, I'm convinced that, you know, when I face God, he's looking for himself. That's what he's looking for. He's looking to see himself. Well, how's he going to see himself? There's no other way to the father except to the son. So my relationship with Christ as Savior and Lord is about me maturing one day that I bear the identity of the father. You know, I asked the question a long times. 
how can quote unquote Christians hate people? You know, how, how, how do people, church going people, we, we're real quick. We say, how do church going people hate homosexuals? How does, how does a professing Christian hate black people or Hispanics or whatever? We, we're quick to say, well, they must not really be saved. They must not be born again. And I'm sure that is a case in many cases, but I don't know if it's always the case. And what I mean by that is I, I believe there's a lot of individuals who attend church. They ha have a born again experience, but they never truly mature in the Lord and they never take on the identity of the father. And, and, and I'm saying that because if you truly begin to take on the identity of the father, you'll have love for the homosexual. You'll have love for people that don't look like you, people that don't sound like you. You'll carry the heart of the Father. See, my problem with a lot of Christians is they haven't matured to have the heart of the Father. Jesus was moved with compassion because mm. he had the heart of the Father. Not, I'm not discrediting his, far, his, his heart, but I'm saying his part in this is to have that into the point where he, he carries the heart of the Father with him at all times. And that is something that is missing in the body of Christ a lot of times. People have an experience. They have an encounter. We're born again, but there's so much hatred in them. How's there hate in you? We're to hate sin, but how do we hate people? Why is that there? You know, when I was born again, I quit drinking. And I quit popping the pills immediately. But I had so much unforgiveness, bitter, and anger that it was another three years before I could truly walk in love. And I remember it, Chris, I, I was standing in front of the mirror. And when I stood there, I, all of a sudden I didn't hate what I saw. Mm. I mean, I didn't hate it at all. I looked, looked at myself and I didn't hate myself. And I went, what's happening? <laughs> what's wow. going on? And I heard the Lord speak to me and said, you see you how I see you. And I said, what is it? And all I heard the Lord say is love. And I remember, Chris, I was, I was sitting there and I was just overwhelmed. I don't know how to articulate it in words other than overwhelmed. And the house that we had at the time, we had a bathroom that was disconnected from the bedroom. But where the mirror was, I could see my wife, Christy, asleep in the bed. Now, we had dated almost three years in high school before we got married. And at that time, we'd been married um, a little over three years. And I was preaching at that time. And I looked at her in the mirror and I went, oh, my gosh, I love that woman. And really and truthfully, that's when I fell in love with my wife. Mm. All those times before that I said love, it wasn't love. It was actually lust, but it wasn't love. But the day that I fell in love with my life, with my wife, is the day that I actually saw love. And see, there's so many people that they carry a certain aspect of the son, but they never tap into the father. Mm. We got the conviction of Holy Spirit that steers us and gives us discernment and guides us. And we have the son, but we never mature to the father. What would happen if we matured in that? 
I read Acts chapter three and I think about this often, and this is just my opinion. You know, I wonder had Simon Peter before he came out of the upper room, would he'd ever stopped at the gate called beautiful and talked to the guy that was a beggar. Would he have ever stopped in the gospels? I don't know. We don't really get that understanding from Peter, but all of a sudden he stops and he looks at this beggar who'd been there every day. His family brings him there. And he simply says, silver and gold have I none, but what I do have rise up in the name of Jesus and walk that moment. I get the glimpse of the father yep. that I don't get in any other aspect because the father cares for the least of them. That's scripture. And that's something that we all have to remember. I'm not discrediting the son by any aspect whatsoever. I'm saying there's a level of sonship that matures us to bearing the identity of the father. If you're a Christian, that's just a Christian. You're missing it. I know we're, we're, we're to be Christ-like. Again, I get that. But be honest with you, Apple products is doing Christ-like things. Man, Apple and Microsoft, those people are feeding hungry people in countries. Those people are taking care of widows and orphans. doesn't mean that they're Christ-like, really. We're not really called to be Christ-like. We're called to be like Christ. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. We're to put on the mind of Christ. We're to be transformed into his identity. That when people see me, they actually see Christ in every aspect, but they also see the Father. What did Jesus say? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Imagine that. And that's something that stays with me for that. So what I want to pray into the people that are listening is to really understand that our identity is truly in sonship, but we never discover who we are as sons until we deal with ourselves. I'm a broken person. I've got this or I've got that. And we lay it on the altar. Fire never falls on the altar because the altar is built. Fire only falls on the altar once a sacrifice is placed on it. A lot of us just have empty altars. Jesus. And we're calling for God, send your fire, send your fire. And he's saying, prepare the sacrifice, prepare the yeah. sacrifice. So if we can do these things, I believe we can grow and we can mature to a level that we can actually represent the kingdom in exponential uh, levels that we we've not seen in generations before us have not seen there, there's an opportunity before us the harvest truly is ready so father right now i just thank you for everyone that has ears to hear eyes to see and a heart to receive everything that is for them i thank you that you are calling your sons into the kingdom to advance the kingdom to equip the kingdom to be able to establish the identity of who you are that the world may know the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. Father, anyone that is listening right now that has struggled, that says, I get it, but I have this mental block right now. Father, I prophesy right now into their situation. Holy Spirit, invade the presence of where yes. they're at right now. Yes. And I break that tormenting spirit over their life, that false identity, that false confession over their life. I decree and declare right now wholeness and there to be of sound mind now in the name of Jesus Christ. For all the things that we do, we don't do it for, your, for our recognition, for our glory, but we do it for your glory, for your namesake. For we advance the kingdom of God because you truly are 
great. I thank you for your mercy, your love, your grace. I thank you that we don't have to come and do the song and dance. You loved us before we ever loved you. I thank you for the returning of the prodigals, for they know that their identity is through the Father. And Lord, I exalt you that no matter what the yes, media Lord. says, no yes. matter what the world is proclaiming, you still are El Shaddai. You are mighty. You yes. are Yahweh. And we exalt you, Lord, because no matter what we're faced with, you are greater. And we give everything unto you this hour, this moment, in the name of Jesus. Wow. You know, those of you who are with us tonight, I want you to realize something that this is, it is more uh, than just a word spoken to you. It's an atmosphere that is open to you. It's something that you are moving into, stepping into a reality of the Father's heart and his love. And I pray that the, the, the fragrance and the aroma of what Ryan has released tonight, that it lingers on you, that it pervades the atmosphere of where you are, your home, that, the, that it saturates the very substance of who you are. It lingers on you like a fragrance that you will inhale it, smell of it, encounter it afresh. I pray that it'll come on you like waves, just as Ryan was talking about earlier, how this thing is progressively working in us, renewing us, birthing us into deeper dimensions of intimacy and encounter with him so that we come into the identity of sonship through a revelation of who the father is. That is the predominant a, a picture. It is the preeminent revelation. It is why Jesus came to the earth to make the father known. And in knowing him, we step into eternal life. We step into this place of, of, of unadulterated life. And so I just, we just speak that over you tonight, embrace yes. it, step into it, seize it by faith because it's yours by birthright as Ryan yes. prophetically declared over us today. Man, wow. <laughs> hey man, I, I, I love you, brother. I appreciate who you are, what you bring to the kingdom of God, man, and all that you represent uh, in the house of God. And I love you and I honor you. I appreciate you being on with us tonight, man. Man, it truly is my honor. I, I genuinely, I love you, honor you. Appreciate what you bring to the kingdom. It really is needed and valuable in my eyesight. Um, and so it really means a lot to be able to come and be a part of this with you. Well, blessings to you, my friend. And everyone, please, before we sign off tonight, I want to encourage you again uh, to connect with Ryan. Uh, his podcast is phenomenal. Uh, the Blacksmith Chronicles, please subscribe to the YouTube channel. Check him out on his podcast. You can find more information about him on Ryan Johnson Ministries at his website. Please take the time to connect with him. We love you guys. We're looking forward to being with you again. Blessings. Talk to you soon.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Possessing the Gates. For more episodes, please subscribe and visit us at www.kingsgate.international.